Take your seats, movie fans. The film is about to start. Welcome to Craft of Services, the show where we look back at the bad films of cinematic history, the movies that critics rejected but audiences embraced. I'm your host, Aaron Coker. I'm also the host of the Just Enough Trope podcast and the Enterprising Individuals podcast on this, the Just Enough Trope Network. Find out more at justenoughtrope.com. I'm joined on this episode by Gooey Fame. Gooey is a musician and a podcaster and the host of shows like Existence is Futile, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast, Pro Wrestling Required Viewing, which looks at wrestling adjacent pod culture, and Virtual Theater, a podcast about video game movies and the stories that shape them. Gooey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. Oh, I, did I cut you off? Oh, I was just going to say, like, uh, it's good to be back on the, the Just Enough Trope network well it's good to have you back uh now you've got something of a network going yourself you've got a wrestling podcast <laughs> a video game podcast a star trek show two out of those three genres regularly produce some pretty bad movies and oh, the yeah. third can be a little uh either or sometimes why do you think it's so hard to create a good film about those kinds of genres or media oh that's that's a good question um, okay, wait. I want Which do you think is the two out of three? Uh, Star Trek. I think Star Trek is. Oh boy! Now there's new ones too. Okay. I, I don't hmm. know. I'd say they're probably just over fifty, just over five hundred uh, on the batting average. Okay. To use a sports metaphor for our movie today. I would back. I would back that. Um, okay. So yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek's probably hard, be, just because of the nature of the way the show it. Like the, I think the types of stories they do in that almost work better as like short stories as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, fil- films, but, or I don't know. I, I, it seems like why, why can't they do it more consistently? Um, and then what's, I mean, video game movies, I think the big thing with those is there just hasn't been like enough put behind them yet, you know, like enough, uh, like interest b- behind them by the people making them. Like mm. Are you, you're envisioning like a like a Marvel Cinematic Universe where we have investment in them and then we're spending time with it and we've got major talent coming on and it isn't just like a cash grab. Yeah. So it's not just I know a lot of people say like they say this about a lot of comic book movies, too, or they used to where it's like, oh, these people, they don't even care about comics. <laughs> like, I think that's part of it. But it's re- it's really also just like it's not just the creators, but like the producers who are like putting this stuff together you know it's yeah it's like they yeah they just don't have it's like ah whatever we'll just throw out a whatever script because the people who like it will go see it you know and for that reason i mean we're already talking about uh avengers uh endgame of course came out with the time we're recording this just this last weekend so we're already talking about marvel films uh, on this podcast and to me it seems like i know the job of the producer in hollywood is is always to make that money you know and is to take something that there might be a kernel of interest and turn into something that people would pay tickets for but i almost think that like in addition to the artistry on the directing and the acting and the writing side there's an art to like the producing side of it as well you get somebody like Kevin Feige, who has this great combination of both being a huge fan of these properties, you know, from a young age, but also having like the foresight and the talent to put them all together and get them on the screen. Like, I think it's super rare. We need a video game. Kevin Feige is what we need. Yeah. I wonder who that could be. I have no idea. I think we're I think we're close. Like, I think we're on the cusp of like as video games. They're already huge. It's obviously a huge industry, but I think as more and more people are like okay these could be good movies i'm just picturing that it's like a cliffy b or something like that oh no no like he's like the Zack snyder of like video game movies you know if it if it was 
if it was The Rock, I would be okay with it. Because <laughs> Ram- Rampage was an okay time for what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I could see that. Yeah. Or just some, yeah, somebody who's got like a, who's deep in on acting and then is, you know, in the producing side, but is also like a big gaming fan. Just somebody kind of stepping up and trying to take that. Who's Oh, boy. Who's the, the Kong Skull Island guy, the director? Um, uh jordan vote roberts i know like he's doing that metal gear movie yeah and then yeah. it was like he was like i want to do a metroid movie and there yeah there was something where he's like here's what i would do for a zelda movie and it's like whether or not his opinions were good it is less of a factor in that it's like well he's got a bunch of ideas so yeah don't say anything bad about his movies though or he'll get real sad on twitter oh yeah <laughs> yeah i know that kong <laughs> yeah yeah, he didn't like that very much. Yeah. Do Do you think it's the interactivity of games that keeps it out of the movie sphere? Like something that oh, Metal Gear Solid is a great example because it's basically just a movie that you watch and you get to push buttons every once in a while. But do you think it's the fact that like I don't interface with Doom guy if I'm if I'm not the one holding the shotgun? I think I think that might be what's holding up a lot of like the creators who are who are making it, where it's like oh, like uh, we talked on virtual theater about the the doom movie and it was like yeah of course like we want it to feel like a a first person shooter in this one scene so they have that like whole sequence from it you know or yeah right right where it's like they want to replicate certain aspects of the gameplay instead of like how you feel when you're watching it right so i think that might be a challenge because i think i think you could overcome that still yeah they basically just invented or reinvented like pov shots like we know what a pov shot is <laughs> yeah <laughs> just like and if it was uh doom 3 you couldn't see anything anyway so isn't that the one with the flashlight yeah yeah th- they were going for that <laughs> vibe for sure yeah but yeah you, you might be onto something with like there is like an extra element with the interactivity but i think the biggest hurdle is just like the lore and the length of a lot of these games is like hard to condense into you know under two hours <laughs> Right, yeah. Do you think that there is a video game movie that's really nailed it from your perspective? Um, oh, that's a good question. I I honestly think uh that Rampage <laughs> nailed <Okay>. it. <laughs> sure. Because um it's just it's just like the game is a dumb game about giant animals <laughs> break, destroying skyscrapers and that's what the movie is. It's like a big right. a big dumb movie. You know, it's it's got plenty of flaws for sure, but I think it at least nailed the the vibe of what they were going for. Yeah, watchable. Do you have one? <laughs> You're gonna ask that. Uh, I, I got a kind of cheat answer, which I would okay. say, uh, I think like the Matrix, because the oh, Matrix okay. has very video gamey elements. And I mean, of course, you know, in the world of the film, they're like literally inside kind of a game type thing. Um, Tron is reaching way back. I think that Tron also has its problems, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's got that really heavy handed metaphor. It's so meta because it's like you're in the computer. It's like, okay, but still there are like light bikes and tanks and and things like that that are kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I think there are plenty of good video game movies out there, but it's the adaptation part that's like the hard part. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I also think it's funny that there aren't more. I guess I'm not exactly sure how you do it, but there aren't more like wrestling pictures. Like you've got the wrestler. And then of course you've got a lot of uh, uh, WWE stars who are actors now um, through like WWE films and like sponsored productions. But 
I, I mean, I don't feel like there's a ton of wrestling pictures when, if you look back at old Hollywood, almost every other picture was like a wrestling picture. Yeah, there's not many. There's Ready to Rumble, um, <laughs> which you could probably do on this show. Yeah. Um, there was, oh, what's, we did it on Pro Wrestling Required Viewing way back in the day. It was the uh, Paradise Alley. I don't know that one. It's a Stallone movie from the late 70s, I think. And it, it feels like, I actually don't know, I it had to have come out before, but it feels like the prototype for Rocky. Okay, all right. <laughs> and um, yeah, I know he did a lot of the, like a lot of the wrestling choreography um, was done. Who do you, who do you work with again? Um, oh, it was Ter- Terry Funk, and Terry Funk is in the movie. Oh, so, sure. Um, it's not it's it's not good, I don't think. But uh, some of the wrestling scenes in the end, like, have some cool like shots. But that's maybe the closest to like a and well, no, the wrestler, the wrestler did it. But that's it. Yeah, right. Um, there was uh, wasn't there a movie called? Maybe it was a TV movie called Takedown that was like about college wrestling. Oh, I've never seen that. Or no, uh, no, it was that's right. It was um, Lorenzo Lamas, uh, and it was in like the late seventies. Um, I remember seeing it on TV once. It's not a good movie. I just <laughs> that's all I could think of. There was um, Foxcatcher. If we're talking about, oh uh, yeah, okay. okay, I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, professional wrestling. Professional. That's, that that's hard to do, I guess, because it's like it. There was this this year or last year they had that movie about Paige fighting with my family. That oh, was yeah. like a biopic sort of thing. That was like yeah. But uh, I think the thing you struggle with sometimes when making a wrestling movie is like how much is real and how much is fake. You know how much the kayfabe aspect. Yeah, how how much kayfabe do you want there to be? Because they kind of blended that. It, like they were mostly just like non kayfabe in that movie, but then there was times where I was like, wait. Is this? Am I supposed to interpret this as a real wrestling match or <laughs> sure. not? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what so, what was so interesting about the wrestler and about like the wrestling world in general. Now that the curtains have been drawn back and everybody's kind of a smart, is like it's like seeing a a movie about a movie or a movie about a play. You know, where people are one way on stage and they get off, and it's like that was pretty good. Hey, is there any coffee? <laughs> All right, like, sort of letting go of the character. So yeah, I think that they should push that. Yeah, yeah. That... Did you see the fighting with my family? Yeah, I saw it uh, in theaters actually. Um, okay, it was okay. It was okay. It was interesting because the Rock, you know, the Rock produced it, and uh, yeah, you know, Stephen Merchant wrote and directed it, right? Yeah, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, yeah, it was kind of okay to mediocre kind of story. Huh. <laughs> they didn't really want to like. It was like a typical biopic sort of, and then also like they don't really because like WWE, I think also worked with them it's like they don't really want to get into some of the like real well, real yeah. problems yeah yeah the sort of unauthorized side is what you want to see i want to see uh somebody's got to uh, hype up joaquin phoenix to do the terry funk story uh, as terry funk oh yeah that's he excellent t- casting take it on method yeah oh my grow god the greasy hair and do the whole thing I would like to see, though, a wrestling movie that it, I guess like Ready to Rumble was probably, but I'd like to see a kayfabe wrestling movie. I guess, <laughs> I guess there are, there's like Nacho Libre, is that one? Yeah, right. But I want right, to see right. like a like a semi-serious like movie oh. where like wrestling is just real. <laughs> yeah. I should mention that we're just talking American cinema here. There's a long tradition of like Mexican wrestling flicks. Oh, yeah. All the- With El Santo, El Santo. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, uh, this is all uh, on topic, right, for the show? (laughs) To bad movies. It's close. (laughs) You're a touring musician as well. I think you told me previously that you've been in a lot of bands as a gun for hire or a bass for hire. Sure, yeah. Uh, Is it safe to say that your main genre is emo revival? Yeah, yeah, that that has been for a while, which is funny because that's not what I listened to, like, as okay. as a teenager when I was getting into music, I was more into like like I'm from a small town and I was into punk rock and my only <laughs> access to it was like through the internet. So it was like a trickle of like I just liked kind of the you know, the quote unquote classics, you know, the misfits and <laughs> yeah, sure. and whatever. And then I met some people in a in a like pop punk slash emo band and joined that band. And that was like my gateway, like of two emo was like playing it in a way. And then, okay. you know, just met more people in that kind of scene. And then, you know, now that's like mostly what I play, which is funny. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's funny. I think I, I kind of missed emo the first time around, too. Um, how would you characterize emo as a revival in comparison to the late 90s or early 2000s emo? Oh, I guess it's a little bit more. There's definitely a little bit more of like um a quote unquote like pop aspect or like a like a pop punk aspect to it, you know, like where it 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 feels a little bit more it depends on the band, but I guess it feels a little bit more less raw if that makes sense. You know, when okay. I think of like the yeah. old emo, I think of like there's like bands like, you know, Cap Captain Jazz or like you know, or even if you go all the way back to like Fugazi or something where it's like it's those are a little bit more like harsh and like punk you know where now it, yeah. I, I feel like it's it's gone to it's more melodic and upbeat in a way still sad but you know the the key element to you know <laughs> obviously yeah definitely a lot of video game enthusiasts are also really into video game music you know be it like the sweeping rpg soundtracks or 8-bit chip tunes are you an aficionado of video game music yeah, I, I love. Well, I like. I really. I also do stuff for ZeldaDungeon.net, uh, mm. which is a Zelda fan site, and um, that's that's like my favorite series, game series, and that's kind of known for, you know, having some great classic tunes like Ocarina of Time and A Link to the Past, having these classic video game soundtracks. So I've always been drawn to. I love like Nintendo games and Nintendo soundtracks. Um, I like some, I, and I also like some, like, music, like, non-video game, video game-inspired bands, but, you know, not, I haven't delved too much into it, so. <laughs> sure. That's like a whole genre with subgenres now. Yeah, you, like, see people playing with, like, Game Boys and, and right, stuff. Right, yeah. I think <laughs> it's aw- it's awesome, like, when I, I'll, I'll, like, watch a YouTube video of it, and it's like, yeah, that's cool, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the film we're talking about today is famous uh, in one way for its music and for one song in particular, a song that, considering what we now know about R. Kelly, uh, is something of a literal guilty pleasure, I guess, for me. Um, as a musician, are there films that you hold as guilty pleasures due to their music or their music focus? Oh. Oh, that's – oh, no, that's great. Because um, I, I loved when I was, like, in – I was like, whatever year it came out, I was like the perfect age, Uh, maybe a little bit older, but I loved School of Rock. (laughs) I think I was in like eighth grade, you know, and it was like these kids playing music and I was just learning how to play 
guitar and bass and stuff. And I, I thought that this is so awesome. <laughs> um, I, I can't think of, I don't know if that's considered bad or not. <laughs> Cause I don't think that it's, I think the producers considered it bad. I might have my story wrong, but I think that like that was Jack Black was, he was around, but like not a huge thing. And I think even the producers thought this isn't going to do anything. And then it came out and was like this sleeper hit that kind of reinvigorated his career. There's a lot of movies though where I can't, I can't think of a good example right now that oh you know what I don't know if this is considered bad or not either but a couple years ago I was so I was very into the the pop star Lonely Island movie <laughs> okay yeah uh, yeah yeah I lo- I thought all the songs on that were really funny and uh, <laughs> it's got Seal in it too and Seals in it and his songs are so funny and. Uh, that's actually a thing I'm I'm always drawn to, like more than like regular music is like comedy music. I like listen to that. I like or even just like songs that are goofy. Uh, maybe not explicitly meant to be comedy, but I'm always drawn to like stuff like that more. And maybe that's annoying to some people because that's what I'll <laughs> like play when I'm around. But I'll be like, listen, yeah, listen to this Lonely Island song or something. Sure. <laughs> Well, uh, Goofy's a good watchword for this show, but it's the wrong cartoon company, uh, but we'll get into it. Uh, the name of the show is Craft of Services. On every episode of the podcast, we look at a film that's poorly rated, generally lower than 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but one that was well-remembered by audiences at large. In the case of today's film, the largest part of that audience is comprised of millennials, that magical unicorn generation that's apparently killing everything. They're just killing every <laughs> industry, I guess. Uh, millennials are generally held to have been born between 1981 and 1990 which would mean that the average millennial viewer was eight years old in 96 and therefore the perfect audience for a hybrid animated sports feature featuring Air Jordan and Hair Jordan. I'm talking, of course, about the 1996 film Space Jam, starring beloved cartoon character Michael Jordan and six-time NBA champion Bugs Bunny. (laughs) Blending traditional animation with live-action actors was nothing new. Film and animation pioneer Max Fleischer was combining animated and real-world elements through rotoscoping as well uh, as early as the 1910s. The meaning of cartoon characters and -and flesh-and-blood actors in 20th century film was mainly relegated to dance and musical numbers, a la Gene Kelly and Jerry the Mouse, or Dick Van Dyke and some penguins, or Mm -hmm. Paula Abdul and MC Scat Cat. But the blockbuster release of Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 1988 changed all of that and led to a revival of live-action animation projects and the Looney Tune brand in general. After Nike produced two well-received Air Jordan commercials in the early 90s featuring Jordan and Bugs, Warner Brothers realized they had a real jam going down, and they took their chance and did their dance at the Space Jam. Before we get to the main course of what we're discussing today, I need to find out, would you consider yourself a millennial? Oh, for, yeah, definitely. I I was born in 90, so okay. like like you were saying, like I was like the perfect age for this movie. Are you a Looney Tunes fan? Uh, I, I was as a kid, and I don't know if it's because of this movie or... <laughs> it might be. It might be. Yeah, because I was six when it came out, and I definitely remember like full all in being into it right away. But I also like, I'm also from Illinois and the like go-to like amusement park is Six Flags Great America oh, uh, in oh, okay. in the Chicagoland area. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, and we would go when I was a kid, we would go like once a year. And so like, that's kind of, it's got like, you know, the Looney Tunes characters and like, yeah, like suits and stuff. So like, I, I feel like I always just was like, Looney Tunes is like cool for some reason. <laughs> Yeah. 
I mean, I know that they're still around, you know, especially like you mentioned in like merchandising and marketing. But I, I wonder what the exposure even is these days for young kids. Like in the film, we see Jordan's fake kids watching old Looney Tunes cartoons. And I, I have endless memories of watching Looney Tunes shorts as a kid, mostly because that's all that was on. I mean, I loved them. I love the Looney Tunes, but there's so many other cartoons out there now. Like Jordan's kids must have been the last children alive <laughs> to actually watch like a Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote cartoon. Yeah, I also I remember too watching those and I remember them there must have been some channel that like played the reruns or something cuz I I definitely have fond memories of like watching them on TV. Yeah, and of course like the Animaniacs uh came out mm. uh you know in like the early 90s or so and so I guess that was sort of part of it but yeah, it's just you know, I saw these old jokes, a lot of cross-dressing for some reason. Uh, yeah. Everybody is smoking, uh, a lot of uh, like physical uh, abuse, and it's <laughs> just like the sort of thing where uh, I guess a kid would probably just watch uh, like a Pokemon or, or a Dragon Ball or something rather than tune into this old, old-timey old cartoon. It might have been for, it, it might have been depending on what channels you could actually get. Because I, rem- yeah. I remember when I was younger, it, like we only had like, like basic cable or whatever and then it was mm-hmm. like all of a sudden we had like 60 channels and it was like oh i <laughs> i can watch dragon ball z now like i'm never <laughs> right, going yeah. back yeah screw you tweety bird yeah <laughs> i was gonna say another exposure that i had to this what to looney tunes was like for some reason there was like wrestling crossover merch with looney tunes i remember too really yeah we we talk about it actually on uh on pro wrestling required viewing. We did an episode about Looney Tunes back in action. Uh, yeah, right. The follow up to this because Goldberg <laughs> was in it, and I do. Oh, that's right. I can't remember. We go into it in the episode, but I feel like some wrestler or some promotion did like crossover merch with like T- Tweety Bird was a thing, and I-, I I don't have the full details on this, but I know there was like an element of that mixed into it. So I was like. All angles was being attacked by Looney Tunes merch. Tweety Bird is like the perfect crossover thing because he's just so he's just blank like a <laughs> like a Buddhist monk. You know, he can fit. He's into like Harley Davidson merchandise, you know, and he's like, oh, Mack truck. He's Tweety on your uh, on your mud flaps or whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't get why. But OK. Yeah, I don't. He's just kind of like Zen. You know, you can't put put anything on him. Are you a basketball fan? Not not really. No, I don't I don't really like any like real sports. Yeah. You know, I like wrestling um, when I okay. when I was young, like my my family is. So like my my parents are super into, you know, basketball, baseball and football. And yeah. and Chicago is, you know, we're in Illinois. Sure. So we're not actually near. We didn't grow up near Chicago, but like that's the team. So it, yeah. it was that was also the perfect like crossover because it was like at that time I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Sure. But then yeah. once I got into the age of like being a a junior high student and getting into music, I was like, I, uh, I'm not into sports, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be either or, but it, it often is. Yeah, it's actually, it's weird. In, in, the, in the emo revival scene, uh, there's like a like joke of like emo sports. Like there's a lot of... Team, ba- bands that are named like there's a band uh uh called free throw there's a band called modern <laughs> baseball you know so the, okay sure so there is, that is an element to it and and a lot of my bandmates are like die hard sports fans so like 
Yeah, it's there is crossover, but that wasn't me. It's a different kind of esports. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Anybody who's not old enough though has to be made aware how massive basketball uh, basketball was in the 90s. Um owed in large part to Jordan and stars like him. Basketball is still huge. I mean like the New York Knicks are I think they're actually like the 7th most valuable sports franchise. Um, at like $3.6 billion in value. So like wow. they're up there. But in the 90s, basketball was everywhere. And as a white kid in Minnesota with, you know, we just got like our fledgling crappy team, the Timberwolves, I didn't really consider myself like a basketball fan, yet I knew all the players. You know, I watched the finals. I wanted the shoes. Oh, the shoes. Could never afford oh, the shoes. Yeah. 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 And so I may, maybe it's another case of like nothing else is on, but you know, but now there's like, you know, there's, Fox Sports uh, started the same year as this film, and you've got MMA and UFC and ESPN, the Ocho now or whatever. You know, <laughs> speaking of esports, ES, ES, uh, ESPN airs esports, yeah. and you've got video games, and so maybe there's a dilution of the audience. But man, it was really, really big back then. Yeah, I re- I remember like yeah, and come to think of it, it's like I could probably name like a lot of the like major players on the Bulls at that time, yeah. even still today. And well, and of course there was like, you know, Dennis Rodman and stuff too, who was just like, who was like a superstar in his own right too. And, and also a wrestler, you know, member of the NWO. So yeah, God, (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea of the Looney Tunes crossover merch and uh, Daffy Duck crotch chopping or or whatever. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Why did you want to talk about Space Jam today? Um, Oh, well, when you told me about the idea for this um and you mentioned the mario brothers movie uh it's in the same like genre for me of movies that i probably watched like every other day as as a child like on vhs just like wore out the tape on to and like actually kept watching in you know into my adulthood just because it was like the comfort thing to watch that and like ninja (laughs) turtles where it's like um they're like movies where like I couldn't even separate like the movie from like my experience watching them as a child. That's interesting. So that's really, yeah, that, that connects or at least like mirrors uh, my experience with the film, which is that, and, and I'm not a millennial by the way, but like my troubled history with this film goes back to the fact that I saw it at a time when like, it's one of my first real disappointments at the movies. Like when you're a kid, you just you're happy to be seeing a movie. You don't know if it's good or bad. It's just got characters that you like, and you just go, "Yeah, yeah, I saw that movie." And this is one of the first movies that I sat down and thought, "Okay, I like Michael Jordan. Okay, I love the Looney Tunes. Let's watch this." And then I walked out like, "That was not good." And I just learned that movies can be bad, <laughs> and and now I'm mad. That was like at least you know that's like a sign of your development, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Space Jam. <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, turn my hate around a little bit. A lot of the Looney Tunes shorts are about fun-loving tunes trying to get the antagonist to get over himself, you know. So maybe we can um, plug up my shotgun and it'll explode <laughs> backwards and my face will be all sooty, but I'll learn something. I love it. Before we get started, I want to reiterate that we talk a lot about Rotten Tomatoes on this show, but this podcast is not in the pocket of Big Tomato. We don't endorse Rotten Tomatoes. We just use it as a metric in this case on this show. And as a pop culture commentator and a podcaster, what do you think personally about the popularity of aggregate review sites? I was just talking about this the other night. Like, I I actually really... I really enjoy talking about like the tomato meter number. They're yeah, almost like 
because like I don't enjoy sports and I feel like talking about that is like the closest I get. This is your rankings and that sort of thing. Yeah. RBIs and yeah, yeah. I mean, you get a little <laughs> bit of that kind of feeling from like talking about like like wrestling and like the meta of that, but I I more so get yeah, get a kick out of like the idea of like what a movie has on the tomato meter or like <laughs> I, I actually don't I don't care as much about like Metacritic and stuff, but yeah, I like I'm I'm I, I would endorse I'll endorse the tomato meter my personally. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh, uh, that's a first on this show, I think. <laughs> oh really? Okay. I, <laughs> I love the fact that it's sort of like your like your sports stats. Uh, even though it's like almost completely imaginary, <laughs> like I, my uh, where I grew up, my local uh, wrestling. This takes me way back, but my local wrestling promotion was the AWA, and Ooh. they used to publish the. I used to get like the Wrestling Weekly or whatever the magazine was. It was like this crappy newsprint, you know, magazine, and they'd have like the rank. Here's the best top ten wrestlers this week, or who's in line for the belt. Of course, it's all fake, you know, but mm. it's just like, oh, so and so is at number four. I think he's got a real chance this year. <laughs> They they have tried to bring that back a couple of times, like that concept. Really? Well, like in I, the internet age, yeah. In like I think like a year and a half ago, they tried to like reintroduce that to SmackDown, but like no one, okay, no okay. one was willing to take it seriously. I I would <laughs> I'm actually like into that, but it's a you know, what can you do? Who's on the uh, disabled list? I guess that's real though. Yeah, that's too real, maybe for them. They don't want to acknowledge that. But <laughs> so you have the real disabled list, and then the um, the shoot disabled or the mar- uh, what's it called? The work disabled list. Yeah, I <laughs> as far I will say though, I don't I don't use Rotten Tomatoes as like uh, necessarily like how good. Like I don't say like oh it's it's a good movie. It's a it's got an eighty. You know, I I just find I'm like oh if eighty percent of the people thought it was like worth seeing like. That's interesting. You know, I just find it interesting what whatever the score is, you know. Yeah, I definitely look at it as like a bird's eye view type situation where it's you can just see what people in general are thinking, uh, you know, what audiences are thinking, and I definitely don't use it as like an actual hard metric as to like whether a movie is good or not. Um, case in point, um, a movie I saw recently uh, called High Life is at an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. And for me, that was not an 82% movie. Yeah, I I'm I saw that recently too. And I'm, I don't even know what I, what I would actually, <laughs> I like tried to do a, a rating on Letterboxd, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know if I can give it a score, you know? Yeah. I, I need uh, like hieroglyphics instead of stars or something like that. I'm not yes, sure like yeah. where this rating really fits. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we're talking about Space Jam, of course, today. It was released uh, first in November 15th of 1996. It's, of course, rated PG. It's the first Looney Tunes uh, feature of any kind to be rated PG. It clocks in at 88 minutes, which is probably the limit of what they could squeeze out of the premise. The film was a runaway success at the box office. It made $230 bucks on an $80 million budget. And $230 million simoleons is $327 million in 2019 dollars. Mm. The film sits at 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at a 59 on Metacritic. And it's at 6.4 on IMDb. That's 6.4 out of 10. It was directed by Joe Pitka, and if you don't know that name, there's no reason that you would. Pitka was a prolific and successful director of commercials and music videos. He's directed videos for Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears, and he directed the video for the 1997 Beatles release, Free as a Bird. 
He also directed the two commercials that served as inspiration for Space Jam, which came out in 92 and 93. And he also holds the record for the most nominations for the Directors Guild of America Award for Outstanding Directing for commercials. He's only directed two features, Space Jam and the 1989 Richard Dreyfuss comedy Let It Ride, which is about gambling. And we're going to talk about gambling later. There's also, uh, this movie was written by the team of Leo Benvenuti and Steve Rednick. They also wrote the Santa Claus series of films. The writing team of Timothy Harris and Herschel Weingrad also contributed to the script. They helped develop 80s comedies like Trading Places and Brewster's Millions. They also wrote for Ivan Reitman, uh, who produced this movie, along with uh, Twins and Kindergarten Cop and, of course, of course, Ghostbusters. If we had to, and we probably should just for the sake of posterity, can you summarize the story of Space Jam briefly? Okay, so the the Looney Tunes uh, are challenged to a basketball game, <laughs> or they challenge, I should say, invading aliens who want to enslave them for right. their um, outer space amusement park, and they enlist the help <laughs> of Michael Jordan to take on these monsters who have stolen the talent from various nba players who who is a baseball player by the way he plays baseball michael jordan michael jordan yes this is at that point that weird point in his career (laughs) that baseball thing has nothing to do with the movie (laughs) and his premises go there's just so much happening at the start of the film there's a phrase in writing called hat on a hat which basically means like you don't need to overload something with premises you know you establish what's going on you start dealing with it and as this opens we open with kid Michael Jordan, you know, saying he wants to play ba- uh, baseball. Then we cut to real Michael Jordan in a dramatization of the real press conference where he retired mm-hmm. for the first time from basketball. Then we cut to space where a guy and his minions have to save their theme park. So they kidnap the tunes and then we get into a basketball mm-hmm. game and then they kidnap Michael Jordan and he wants just to be a baseball player. It's like this insane stacking of circumstances in the film. And yet it's it's like an hour and a half or less than that. It's like an hour and 20 minutes long. So Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. And they're all uh, quickly and easily resolved, I guess. And then we just move on. Uh, and then an alien spaceship lands on a baseball field. And everybody's totally cool with that. Oh, yeah. I've, I had forgotten that that was a thing that happened, like, this time around. And then, like, that seemed... Out of all the, like, stupid things that happen, like, that seemed like the silliest thing to me. It's almost like they just couldn't. How do we get him back? Uh, I don't know. Spaceship, <laughs> I guess. Yep. Uh, th- that kind of uh, pageantry or spectacle uh, wouldn't be out of place uh, in the small town or small town, small league uh, ballpark that Jordan was playing in at the time. Uh, this film actually has at least a shred of basis in reality. Uh, Jordan, of course, did retire from basketball in 93. And the circumstances around that are tangled themselves. Uh, I should say, first of all, if you're interested in this real world story, you should check out the 30 for 30 documentary, Jordan Rides the Bus, which details his short career as a minor league baseball player. Have you seen the movie? Jordan Rides the Bus? I haven't seen that. No, that sounds cool, though. It's it's not like, I was going to say it's not great, but it's it's an okay documentary. It just doesn't have any great insights into the events. Uh. And it's kind of, it's overly reverential <laughs> towards Jordan. Not as much as Space Jam is, but... <laughs> It, like if you were the uh, viewers are unfamiliar with the story, the real world story, it's it's pretty informative. Um, and as somebody who lived through that time, I can say, you know, it's it's pretty reflective of like the whole situation. Like at the time, we were all asking ourselves, 
what is going on? Why would the world's greatest basketball player, who's in the exact middle of his prime, and he just won three championships back-to-back, why would he just walk away? And it's a really complicated story. I actually know, like, nothing about it. I just remember, you know, being like, I was like six or whatever, and it was, Mm -hmm. and I do remember, like, the, like, thing that at least my child brain was able to grasp was that it's like let's all like dunk on Jordan for you know being a bad <laughs> was, baseball player but like it was totally that yeah it yeah. Was, but like I did I didn't ever know anything more to it and then as I've gotten older I've just never thought about it so <laughs> it's yeah everybody kind of forgot about it and it's funny because you mentioned people dunked on him that like totally happened and of course in the movie it's and I'm sure this happened, you know, like in his circle. But everybody is so sycophantic about it. It's like great, great strikeout. Looks great. Great oh. job. Look, yeah, can't teach that. That was teach that, re- look. that was really good. Actually, like that was like one of the best <laughs> moments of the movie. Bits of satire. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the the Bulls won their third consecutive NBA championship uh, in June of '93, um, and just a month later, this is the sad part of the story. Uh, James Jordan Sr., Michael's father, was killed uh, at the age of 57 in, like, mysterious circumstances near his home in North Carolina. He appeared to be the victim of a highway carjacking, and it was a brutal and horrific crime. And two men were convicted and sent to jail for life for the slaying. But now in the intervening years, these things have come out. Like, one of the men has claimed that he had only helped dispose of the body, like he wasn't involved in the murder. Wow. Evidence may have evidence may have been mishandled in the trial, and the whole thing is a mess. Anyway, as you can expect, this gravely affected Jordan and his father. You know, as we see um, depicted by an actor in the film, was a great inspiration to him, uh, and in his, in his career, uh, first at the University of North Carolina, and then later in the NBA. And he had been a semi-professional baseball player himself, and he taught Michael the game when he was growing up. So Jordan announced his retirement in October of '93, stating that he wanted to become a, a major league baseball player. And Jordan had played uh, ball in high school when he was a pitcher. And he got a minor league contract right away with the Chicago White Sox, which is the team that he had hoped to play for in the MLB. Uh, Just a note, the Sox were owned by Bulls owner Jerry Reinsdorf, so you can draw what conclusions from that you will. Hmm. And he started playing in the minor league for the Birmingham Barons in 94. And he, yeah, he wasn't great. And major sports outlets like ESPN really had a field day with it. Like, what is this guy doing? But it really didn't matter to the fans. As I'm sure you can imagine, the Barron Stadium was packed for home games. And they set all kinds of attendance records that season. And there was like a ton of press. There's a scene in the Jordan Rides the Bus documentary where Jordan is just at spring training in Florida. And there's a million photographers lined up watching him, like taking every cut like he's Derek Jeter or something like that. Wow. So I... I feel like even though it like he probably got that position like undeservedly, like the fact that he actually did it like just on principle, I'm like, yeah, like whatever, go do whatever you want. Like that's yeah. Why not? That's sounds cool. (laughs) And a lot of this movie and we'll talk about like the motivations behind making this movie in a second. But to me, a lot of the movie feels like a papering over of like this time. Like I almost I don't know how you'd fit the tunes into this, but I almost wish that it had been kind of more about like his, you know, his well-meaning, well-intentioned failures, like in minor league ball. I actually thought uh, that too this time around. I was like, oh, yeah. there's actually something interesting. That's there. the interesting story. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. It's, it's not at all present in the movie. 
you're just going to set up like outer space theme park. That's kind of cool too, but we're not going to go back there. And then we just leave the whole baseball thing hanging. But what it ends up being is just about, it's like almost a commercial for his return to basketball. <laughs> for, right. Yeah. Which is, I guess they got a director who directs commercials. So sure. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. A lot of people were really real- realistic about his chances at the time, you know, contrary to the fawning treatment that you see him get in the film. And the funny thing is like, he was, he was in prime shape still then, you know, but watching, you know, if you watch this documentary, you hear a lot of people say that it just takes time in the box to just know the game. It's like that Malcolm Gladwell uh, 10,000 hours thing. And mm. um, we had other multi-sport stars like Deion Sanders and Bo Jackson, who both played football and baseball, but they had played college ball, too, and they were both drafted into the league out of college. But ultimately, Jordan's coaches and his fellow players, they all said that they thought that he had definitely had a shot if he had just stuck with it and just been in it for a while. And to be fair, his record did get steadily better. Um, he began playing for a different team, the Scottsdale Scorpions, uh, later on. Uh, so at this point, I should ask, do you know the conspiracy theories about why all of this happened in the first place? No. What? I, there's conspiracy theories? Uh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It's also refreshing to know that somebody could live in the Chicago land or the Illinois area and not be a major Bulls fan and know everything about it. I so, like I, I totally wasn't. I look major forward fan. to schooling you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm excited now. But Jordan, as it's pretty widely known, has a bit of a gambling problem. And I don't mean like betting his freedom on a bas- uh, basketball game against the Monstars. Um, Sports Illustrated had run an article in 92 about his alleged problems with gambling And uh, there was a book as well by Richard, uh, some guy named Richard Aquinas uh, called Michael and Me, Our Gambling Addiction. And the article and the book said things like he had gone to Atlantic City like during the 92 NBA finals. And I don't mean like around the time, like in between games, he had gone down to like Atlantic City to gamble. And in the book, like this uh, Aquinas guy says that Jordan owed him like over $900,000 just from golf betting. Wow. So at this point, like this became all the questions that he was asked were about this. It wasn't about like the shoes or Spike Lee or anything like that anymore. It's like, what do you think about this? So the NBA had to open an investigation to see if he had been betting on sports games like basketball games because that would be a problem. Yeah. Like a Pete, Pete Rose situation. Right. And the rumor had started that NBA commissioner David Stern had at the time told Jordan to just leave the league for a while until things blew over. I should say there's never been anything to support this, Uh, although it's interesting to note that the investigation into Jordan ended like the day he left the league. They just canceled the investigation. And then, of course, he returned in the middle of the 95 season to a huge fanfare. That's 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 wild. Yeah. In in my defense, it was like big Bulls fan as a kid. And then as soon as I became of the age of like disinterest in sports, it's like. I could have cared less about anything. And that's like the age I would like have like investigated into like deeper things about it other than like cool dunks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as far as like the papering over goes, like this is like 94, 95. So there's no real, you know, internet news at this time. Right. Not really even like the 24 hour news thing hasn't even ramped up. So I could see him dropping out. People being like, that's weird. And if you don't follow the story, it's like, oh, he's back. Okay. And we just go about our lives. But if this had happened now, like if LeBron just quit to, I don't know, do synchronized swimming or something like that and then came back in 18 months, I feel like there'd just be endless think pieces about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, you would not. You wouldn't even be able to like go online without seeing it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Some people, this is really sinister, but some people also think that Jordan's father might have been killed over his gambling debts. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Which nobody's ever made a connection right. to. And yeah, but it's just like, it's weird. It's just weird sort of synchronicity with everything that's going on. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's weird. Wow. Well, that, that's all some crazy theories at least so <laughs> well now a fun cartoon movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh i think we established before that looney tunes characters seem to go with a lot of things but combining them with basketball might seem like a strange combination but you have to remember that michael jordan was not only the most successful basketball player at the time but also the most successful brand pitchman like of all time like screw haynes he was selling everything and they comment on that a little bit in the film you know with like mcdonald's and gatorade and coke and a lot of that is down to his superstar agent david falk who was so powerful at the time and still that he was listed among the 100 most powerful people in sports for 12 straight years from 1990 to 2001 by the sporting news he's actually in the film he's the guy that says um there's the big, there's the sequence where we're going around and all the players are scared. They're wearing gas masks. And then the guy comes out and says, oh, the players are, you know, they're going on strike until they can f- f- determine that the arenas are safe. That's, that's David Falk in the film. Okay. And he had originally made the Nike Air Jordan deal for Jordan, which was, you know, of course, huge. Um, it's still going today. And apparently he's the one that pitched the idea of Space Jam to Warner Brothers. These commercials had come out and they were originally developed um, by by a different person, by a guy named Jim Riswold. But Falk took the idea and the um, positive response of the ads and went to Warner Brothers and sold them on the film, and he serves as an executive producer on the film. Wow. Okay, well, that's, I mean, this guy is a, is a genius, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, he's really good at doing <laughs> this. He's really good at selling Coke and, uh, and other things. He's good at selling uh, people, too, uh, not in a slavery way, because it's interesting to note that the other players that are in the film, the guys who lose their powers as well, are, are all represented by him. Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, and Muggsy, Muggsy Bogues, all managed by Falk. And if you know anything about like 90s basketball, there were a lot of other players at the time who were way better than some of these guys. Like Patrick Ewing's pretty good, but like Carl Malone... Hakeem Olajuwon, John Stockton, David Robinson, they could have all been in the film as the all-stars of the NBA, but right. they weren't represented by this guy. And there's some, well, some of them included where it's like they're just more iconic or like stars, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. where is Shaq? Why is Shaq not in this movie? And he's, Shaq is an actor, you know? Right, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, just, Shazam is, a, is another film you'll see someday on this uh, podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, somebody has to like the film first, though. Uh, yeah, I guess. Does anybody like Shazam? Or not Shazam. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kazam. You're talking about That's the, the thing that everybody the does. Sinbad, the fake yeah. Sinbad. Yeah. The fake Sinbad movie, yeah. Uh, Which is now a real movie. I would do, I would do, I'd come back for Kazam one day. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll pencil you in for that. There's actually a really funny video on YouTube by uh, SB Nation that's done in this documentary style. Um, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. Oh, <clears throat> and the host in it. He, I, I saw host, that, I think. Did you? Yeah. The host theorizes that the Nerdlucks made a mistake choosing those players. They should have stole the talent of these other players who were like better. They could have won the game. Yeah. Well, well, I think, you know, I think the movie does a good job laying out like why they picked who they did or at least like the first one because they're like a killer where he's a killer (laughs) so if you're an alien coming to coming to earth looking to steal some talent that's that's your first go-to yeah right yeah get get, uh, sean bradley get the (laughs) tallest guy we can find yeah right 
Uh, that's funny. Uh, let's talk about uh, who else is in the movie. Uh, of course, there's Michael Jordan playing a fictional version of himself. Um, although not really, maybe just playing himself from all the commercials. Um, actress Teresa Randall plays his then wife, Juanita Jordan. Uh, his kids are played by Manor Washington, Eric Gordon, and Penny Bay Bridges, who, as far as I could tell, never really did anything after this. Uh, Wayne Knight appears as Stan <laughs> Podolak, Michael's assistant. And reportedly, the director had wanted an established comic star as like the second hand of this film. And he had approached uh, Chevy Chase, he'd approached Michael J. Fox and Jason Alexander, and none of them wanted to be in the movie because they didn't want to act against Michael Jordan <laughs> that's, or with, with cartoons. That's understandable, I guess, like when you see how it ended up working out, but. Yeah, um, and live action, live action, and like animation combinations were getting more popular. But like the process of making Roger Rabbit was reportedly so difficult that a lot of like these oh. veteran actors were like, eh, "We don't, we don't want to do that." I, you made me think um, earlier when you mentioned Roger Rabbit, and now also when you're mentioning uh, Wayne Knight. To me, for me, this movie was like the touchstone for those things. Uh, like <laughs> touchstone, like. Uh, Wayne Wayne Knight, like when I think of him, I think of this and not like Jurassic Park. And okay, sure. When I think of you mentioned like the idea of like people acting with in a computer animated movie like Roger Rabbit, like to me, like Space Jam was like the the bar that was set when I was a kid. Sure. So that yeah, it's kind of funny <laughs> to think about well, that. You mentioned the computer graphics. I, as far as I know, Roger Rabbit was all or at least mostly uh, traditional, but this is like one of the first. Uh, it's claimed to fame is what's one of the first films that combines 3D elements. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, with with the uh, traditional animation, yeah. Uh, speaking of Roger Rabbit, uh, Bill Murray's in this film, of course, as himself, mm-hmm. uh, partly because, as it's stated in the film, he's a friend of Ivan Reitman, uh, and of course he appeared in Ghostbusters. But also, fun fact, he was Robert Zemeckis's original choice for Eddie Valiant in Roger Rabbit. But oh, reportedly, okay. <laughs> reportedly, the producers couldn't get a hold of him in time to cast him, which if you know anything about how, how he chooses pro- uh, projects, it's not surprising. Oh, he has a 1-800 or like a 1-900 line that you call. So like he doesn't have an agent or at least not a public one and no representation. And he just has this number that if you are in the know, you know it and you call it and leave a message basically. And if he ever checks it or like feels like doing something, he'll get back to you. Weird. It, yeah, so th- it, this is how we got him being in Garfield because oh my goodness, okay. The guy that directed Garfield was uh, named Ethan Cohen. It's spelled different. Is that what you think? <laughs> oh, okay. But apparently, he heard this and thought, "Yeah, sure, I'll do. I'll do an Ethan Cohen movie." And so he ends up on Garfield. Oh He's like, gosh. "Where are the Cohen brothers?" <laughs> yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, that's mind blowing. And it's also how, like, you'll see him sometimes in, like, uh, indie band videos and things like that. And it says, I guess if you call him and you just have a good pitch or whatever it is that he looks for, he'll he'll show up. So if you're ever doing, like, a video for a band, you should give him a call. You just never know. call Bill Murray. That's wild. Yeah, it, it couldn't hurt. It did feel like they, like, wanted him to be in the movie more because he, he shows up. And he like makes a joke about how he knows, you know, the producer or whatever. And then yeah. like before they like, you know, like are like a good game. He's like, anyway, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he was only slated to be in the golf stuff. Um, oh, okay. and I mean, he's pretty casual. I and mean, maybe he was actually just there that day or something. But 
he started talking around. Uh, there's a Pitka did an interview with uh, the Chicago Tribune in like 2009, where he talks about the movie a lot. And he said that once he was on set and he was like talking with some of the actors and the director and finding out how they were actually doing the animated stuff, it sounded like easy it sounded like oh i could do that and so he started like pitching them like extra scenes and that's how he ended up in like the final uh scene the final half of the game he's he's just got like an interesting like career of like just showing up in movies as as himself too like yeah yeah this is this is post ghostbusters like 80s bill murray pre wes anderson murray so this is kind of like a sort of a lacuna in his career like what's what's he up to Right, just hanging out on set. He I hasn't guess. started showing up at college parties yet. You know, you know how it works. Right. <laughs> uh, various sports personalities appear in the film, uh, like Larry Bird, uh, Coach Del Harris, commentators Jim Rome and Ahmad Rashad are also in it, and many basketball players are in cameos. Uh, interestingly, uh, Dan Castellaneta, the voice of Homer. Mm. And Patricia Heaton of Everybody Loves Raymond appear, not as themselves, but just as a crabby couple with courtside seats. Yeah, I uh, I was like, when I saw that scene, I was like, knew I was like, I know who that is, but I couldn't connect the dots. And it's it's I guess because I don't think about who plays Homer, like what he looks like. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. That for me, that those are like the weirdest cameos in my mind. Like it just seems I when they do this, and we'll. At the end of the show, we'll talk about Space Jam 2. Uh, when they do Space Jam 2, I have to imagine that plenty of ce- celebrities are going to come out of the woodwork to want to be in that thing, right? I think, yeah, I think it'll be now just because it's like, I mean, it's going to have another big basketball star in it. But it's also like now nostalgic for a lot of people. And <laughs> Yeah, right. I know I saw that video of like, like they did like a live reading of it at some place like UCB <laughs> or something. Yeah. And they had like, you know, like Seth Green and and which is weird because there's not like a lot to read. It's not like it's like <laughs> it's not like the room where there's like a lot of dialogue. Yeah, true. It's like just like a lot of like Looney Tunes jokes happening. Slapstick. Yeah. I Did they like audio describe the jokes? Now the bunny kisses Michael Jordan. His <laughs> lips stretch out to a foot beyond his body. I would I would listen to that though. <laughs> the, I know that they made a commercial in 2016 uh, that's was Space Jam themed, kind of like the old uh, 90s Jordan ads with Blake Griffin and Jimmy Butler. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's neat. <laughs> and I don't know if that was just them sort of poking the the nostalgia, or if that was like those guys' pitch to be in the film, uh, the new film. But oh, I'm sh- I'm sure like those guys have to like be a fan of it. I'm sure to some extent. Oh yeah, there's plenty of millennials in the league. Um, you also you mentioned uh, Larry Bird. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but I had a NES game that was uh, Jordan versus Bird one on one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was like also one of my first big like touchstones to like ba- or, like basketball as a kid was playing this game. Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess like they play one on one sometimes in the in the NBA. I don't know. That see that my knowledge uh, is is lacking there on the video game side. Like there had to be like a Looney Tunes basketball game off of this. There was. I I had I I don't remember if I had that or if a friend did, but I think it okay. was on like PlayStation One and like PC. And yeah, okay. it looked if you I think if you looked at it, it looked like your typical, you know, like you're looking at the game from the side type basketball game. Yeah, right. But right. like yeah, there's like the Looney Tunes in there, and it's it's goofy. It probably wasn't yeah. good. 
mixing uh, midway must have had a different uh sort of setup because mixing this up with uh nba jam which just seems like a no a no-brainer oh yeah that would have been the obvious good route he's to literally go. on fire yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, let's talk about the voice actors in the film. Uh, Danny DeVito, of course, is the voice of Mr. Swackhammer, the owner of Moron Mountain Theme Park. And there's no story there as far as I know. He's just got a distinctive voice and is kind of a character. So I think he's a good fit for Swackhammer. Billy Voice is the voice of Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. This was actually West's first film voice role. Uh, he's, of course, one of the game's most prolific voice actors, uh, voicing Ren and Stimpy, uh, Fry, Bender, Professor, Zap Brannigan, all in Futurama, um, Doug Funny from Doug, which I guess I didn't know, but yeah, it makes sense. No, I didn't know that one. And he's also the voices of, uh, or has been the voices of Shaggy, Popeye, and Woody Woodpecker in various projects. D. Bradley Baker is the voice of Daffy Duck, Taz, Roadrunner, and Toro. Baker would go on to voice Daffy Duck in many other Looney Tunes projects. Bob Bergen plays Marvin the Martian, Porky Pig, Tweety Bird, and Hubie and Birdie. Bergen is the current official voice of Porky the Pig and Tweety and has voiced many English dubs of Japanese anime shows. Hmm. Bill Farmer plays Foghorn Leghorn, Yosemite Sam, and Sylvester. He's a veteran voice actor, and he was the voice of Goofy in a Goofy movie and is the current voice of Pluto. And Maurice LaMarche plays Pepe Le Pew. LaMarche is a voice actor and former stand-up who voiced Egon in The Real Ghostbusters. He's also the voice of The Brain in Piggy and the Brain. And, of course, going off of that, he's known for his Orson Welles impression, oh, yeah. which can be heard in episodes of The Critic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's got a... I remember he's that got, iconic kind of sound to him. Yeah, yeah, he's got uh, a couple like YouTube videos about talking about peas. These peas are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, veteran voice actor Frank Welker, is, who was the voice of Megatron on Transformers, uh, voices Charles, the Jordan family bulldog. Uh, oh, okay. If that seems strange. This isn't Welker's first nonverbal voice role. He also provided voices for Santa's Little Helper and Snowball 2 on The Simpsons. He was Nibbler on Futurama, Abu the Monkey in Aladdin, and he was at the Martians in Mars Attacks, and many other uh, non-speaking wow. <laughs> sound roles. Yeah. And last, and maybe she should be first on this list, is June Foray as Granny. Uh, June Foray is a storied voice actor who got her start on radio in the 30s. She worked in Warner cartoons since the 1950s, providing the voice of Granny and Witch Hazel and more. She was also the voice of Rocky the Flying Squirrel and Natasha, as well as Cindy Lou Who, Jokey Smurf, Magica Dispel on DuckTales, and she won a Daytime Emmy in 2012 for her work on The Garfield Show. She actually passed away in 2017, and animation god Chuck Jones who was not a fan of this movie, by the way. He said of her, June Foray is not the female Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was the male June Foray. Wow. She's iconic. And it's funny because I think she just says, like, what, I'm a cheerleader in this yeah. movie. Yeah, I'm a cheerleader. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but they got her in there. So there's a lot of voice talent in the movie. And the funny thing is, uh, Mel Blanc, who died in 1989, could have done this entire movie himself. He was basically all of those voices uh, before he passed away. Yeah. It's... I do think it's fun to think about how some of these people, it's like they like you get to do that role and then it's like you're the go to guy. Like once you, you know, once they've replaced Mel Blanc or whatever. And then yeah. it's now it's like there's almost like a little bit of job security there, too. There is some. Yeah. But I I've, I've, I was looking at the cast list, which is infirm, of course, for Space Jam 2. And I don't see Billy West on there. So it's like, oh bummer. OK. Yeah. They're already kind of moving things around. And to be fair to West, I mean, he does a good job. I've heard people say that doesn't sound like Mel Blanc. 
And I know I felt that way when I saw the movie, but it's a thankless job. I mean, how do you replace Mel Blanc? Yeah. I guess I maybe because I was like too young, I just never even thought about it. And so now it just seems like, yeah, I'm sure if you played it back to back, I would notice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) this movie, more than anything else, leaves me with a mountain of unanswered questions. (laughs) Yeah. And not just like, why do they make the movie? I think it's clear why they made the movie. Uh, Joe Picka in that interview that I mentioned speculated that over the years, just in licensing alone, uh, Space Jam, birthday candles, uh, shower curtains, and so on and so forth. The movie's made over oh, like the, six, $6 billion in merchandise. The, jer- so. the jerseys, the basketball yeah. jerseys, yeah. those yeah. were so cool as a kid. <laughs> yeah. So that's why they made it. I get that. But like, as far as what's going on, even in the world of the film, I'm not sure. So I was hoping that we could like figure out the mysteries of some of these oddities. Like... First of all, Warner Brothers world, like, I guess it's not Toontown. That's a different movie, but their world is within the center of the earth. (laughs) Yeah, that that didn't. I mean, I always just remember the scene of it crashing into the Piggly Wiggly parking lot and going down (laughs) and like also the golf stuff. But uh, I was watching it and uh, my partner Kayla was in the room and was like, Wait, what is happening? And I was like, oh, I, I like didn't really consider how weird it is that the Looney it's not, Tunes. It's not live, what it looks like. <laughs> they live in the center of the earth. Okay. So uh, with a non-critical eye, I was watching it the first time I watched it. And God damn you, you made me watch this twice. Uh, and I thought like, okay, so maybe it's some kind of like mirror universe situation. Like at the very center of our human reality is the core of the earth. And so you go through that and you're on the other side and everything on that side is like mirrored. It's like a cartoon version of everything, but no, like the us? cartoon aliens come from space from like real space. Oh, okay, like yeah. we pan up out of the news conference and then out to moron mountain. So like there are real cartoon characters in space, but for some reason our Looney Tune characters live inside the earth. No, I think it is just, it's literal. I think they just literally live in the earth. In a hollow earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk about conspiracy theories. Yeah, right. There, yeah. There, and there's like that Warner Brothers like barrier. Right, which is weird. That's another question that I have. There's a lot of like aggressive, like self-identifying Warner Brothers branding in this film. And they've never been shy about their branding. You know, Porky Pig pops out of the thing every time to say, you know, that's all folks. But there are a lot of like, there's jokes at Disney's expense and there's jokes about the characters, you know, and their, their relationship to their employers like Warner Brothers. Yeah. That gets a lot more, it gets a little more cynical in back (laughs) in back in action. The, the follow up. Oh, d- okay. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So actually, this is the Brendan Fraser movie. Yeah. Maybe there's, maybe there, if it is a sequel, because they, they act like it is, and not really, but they like reference it. Maybe, because in that movie, they live in LA or in Hollywood. Okay. And they're like on the Warner Brothers set. And it's very, it's like of that era. I, I think I mentioned like, like, that time period movies had to get like meta a little bit. Like there's like Jay and silent Bob strikes back where they, they go. Yeah. So it's like that kind of movie almost. And they, they get way more like we're going to do way more jokes about Warner brothers and like the film business. And it's, it feels, it just doesn't feel right. But yeah, they, they live there. (laughs) And I'm thinking maybe in this movie after 
Wayne Knight and Bill Murray have figured out how to just go down there, they they must think like, hey, there's there's no more reason to live down in the center of the earth. We can come out and share the planet with with fellow our fellow sentient beings or something. That that's troubling. It's, a, it's implications. This is a real it, it like I think that's what inspired the movie Us. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, uh, now I'm trying to think of like, do we have cartoon, uh, doubles or tethers down there that are like, they act they, loony. They look like the, the Looney Tune style of us. Oh. <laughs> They've got like giant hammers instead of scissors. Yeah. There's also like a wrestling connection here in that the way that they, they're kind of breaking kayfabe. Do you know what I mean? Like they, I mean, Buzz is always like talk to the camera, but like, they have a job ostensibly like, you know, Elmer Fudd's going to hunt because it's rabbit season. But instead, he's like, well, look at my contract. Like they're they're kind of breaking out of the showbiz side of it. And they're being like, this sucks. Like, you know, we got to get better agents. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. You're seeing behind the curtain. They really like I said, they really were like those jokes were funny. Like that's that's like our <laughs> brand now. It, yeah, But when I think about it, it's always kind of been their brand because yeah. it all stems from like the sort of take my wife, please kind of uh, you know, vaudevillian Borscht Belt comedian type uh, thing that like, you know, Buzz is uh, kind of a Henny Youngman or like a Groucho Marx kind of thing. And so they're all doing like these variety show things. And then, you know, going I guess we're seeing backstage in this case. I think, yeah, Groucho, that's a good comparison to Groucho. I think you're going to hate this, but in, <laughs> in, in uh, our back in action episode, I think I compa- I said Bugs Bunny is basically Deadpool. <laughs> God. It really sucks to think about, but I or maybe Deadpool is just Bugs Bunny. But I think mm, I, I like that one a little better. <laughs> I think it's true. And I think it's terrible. I, I got to tell you, I hate being a millennial, but I am still a millennial is what you're saying to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, So that's all uh, horrifying. Uh, what is also uh, horrifying is the, the cartoon physics and their application in this world. Yeah. Like, I just have to say, like, I'm cool with once the humans, we get this in like Roger Rabbit too, like once the humans are in the realm of the tunes, they're sort of subject to the tunes physics. But the the Michael ball? <laughs> the monsters they they ball mm. Michael Jordan up into like a basketball that's existentially horrifying uh, yeah that that I think supports the theory maybe of an alternate dimension because they do say like hey this is Looney Tune land right but, right but like as we I think like there's still like Looney Tune physics when they go to Michael's house in the movie <laughs> right I, I, I don't such, know <laughs> which is such a weird interlude like it's almost i mean it's clearly this just has to be longer this film but like he's got to get his shorts and so our two ostensible stars you know from the cartoon side uh daffy and bugs go just look around his house for a while and then run into his kids and his kids are not horrified they're like oh yeah of course it's uh cartoon characters why not yeah the best the best i could come up with other than it needed to be longer was like they wanted to have kids in the movie or something. I don't know. In, in between all this like Hollywood showbiz jokes uh, and like contract law, we had to like remind people it's, it's for the kids. What What's more like horrifying, I think. Well, no, it's on, on the same par as the Jordan ball is where they when they blow up Wayne Knight. Oh, God. That joke is also just horrible, but it's. <laughs> 
But also, like, I, the 3D version of Blown Up Him is so weird and upsetting. I know. It's, it's terrifying. What I want to know is, are the tunes themselves, are they 2D and the humans are 3D? Do you know what I mean? Like, they're oh. rendered, they're rendered in a, an animation style that has extra shading than the old Looney Tunes, so they do have an illusion of depth, but in their world, are they actually, like, kind of 2D, be- not like, well, maybe like sprites, like in a video game, because when he blows up, they could have just drawn him, you know, just, like, sh- shown that he was like, oh, he looks like a cartoon, but no, he's like, they want to make sure you know that this thing has a physical reality right. in this space, like nothing else on the, on the screen does, and yeah, it's just... I don't even know what it's like. Yeah, it's horrifying. It, I think if they had thought that much ahead, they would have. <laughs> oh, okay, they didn't think about it. Okay, <laughs> they would have made a joke about how they're two D or something. You know. Yeah. Um. Something else that is uh, bigger than it should be, or smaller, I guess, than it should be in this movie is like Michael Jordan's house. Like, I don't know why they're trying to pawn us off on like the idea that he just lives in this like you know three bedroom, two bath, nice house in the suburbs. Yeah, He's Michael Jordan. Yeah, it really felt like that stuff with his family. It felt like that just had to be there because it was like, like it's a commercial for Michael Jordan in a way. So you, sure, you have to see yeah. his nice family he has. Yeah, it's like Stan, take me, take me to the uh, to the casino to to Trump Casino. <laughs> yeah, that, couldn't 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 have that scene. That so would have instead. been the, in, an interesting take for sure. He's got a dog named Charles, Charles Barkley. I'm assuming. Oh no! Oh, Isn't no. that? Isn't that the unspoken that. joke? <laughs> I <laughs> like didn't, this. No, it's not. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> like this joke ever left a, a joke uh, unsaid, but or this movie ever left a joke unsaid? Oh, it's very subtle. Yeah. Yeah, that's about as subtle uh, as it gets. Um, something else that confuses me about this film is like they are all real. The tunes they have a reality that people either don't know about but are cool with once they find out, or I guess just assume. But we also see them on TV. So they are TV stars who have to act out these cartoons or those are pre-taped like they're just like they're movie stars, but they have lives. Like, what is the movie suggesting? Well, yeah, because they left during that one. Yeah, they walk out of one of their cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like they're like they live. This is this is similar to us. I think like they live underground and they like. Well, I guess they don't like ser- like us. They don't like they're not like servants to the people above. But it it's like they're kind of oppressed. Like they live underground and they have to like keep acting out. I what I assume are the same bits over and over. That yeah, that is that's a horrifying thing to consider as well. And it also it's very vaudevillian that they have to do all these shows. There's um there's a, another video on YouTube uh, that Rachel Bloom is on, the actress from uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend, and she posits like. The fact that they're they're not winning anything in this, like they're worried that uh, Swackhammer wants to take them away and own them and make them be slaves. But they already apparently exist in a universe where six times a day they have to like, you know, Cartoon Network requires them to go out and get smashed with hammers and like act through their things. So what, what would be the difference? But you know what? As we like we see them when they're not on the screen and they still have like the same motivations, like like <laughs> right. Sylvester still wants to get Tweety Bird. So like yeah. maybe they're just like they just happen to be doing it for their own enjoyment. <laughs> I don't know. 
Or maybe they've been conned into it's like a it's like a white pick the picket painting the fence thing like from Tom Sawyer. Uh, okay. Or it's like yeah, okay. you guys like doing this, but what if you let us film you? Sure, <laughs> right, sure. And also, we'll stitch a uh, Warner Brothers shield to your ass. Oh yeah, oh yeah. They definitely don't like it, huh? So that, that was very that, upsetting. That blows up my theory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they need an agent character. Now, would the agent character be a human or a toon? The agent character? Wait, who's the agent character? I'm saying they should introduce an agent oh, character oh. to renegotiate their contracts if we're going to sort of uh, rewrite oh, this. Oh, it's got to be a human and it's got to be like a quirky cameo again. Yeah, right, right. This would be the Brendan Fraser. I mean, if he wasn't, you know, in later uh, 2003's Back in Action. Oh, yeah. Oh, Back in Action was cameo ridden, too. So, like. They they knew that that was a an element that they had to have. What one thing I like about this film is that they do. It's not exactly like Roger Rabbit level or um, Avengers level, but they do try to bring some of the old characters back. Like if you look in the crowd, you'll see a lot of kind of lesser known Looney Tunes characters from over the years. Um, and they bring, they have Sniffles the mouse, <clears throat> who was never like a really popular character, but like they have Sniffles the mouse in it, and then of course he's uh, cruelly crushed by one of the mean team players. Yeah, I thought it was weird that they like gave him a line. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I get that feeling sometimes with in a, in a, when you're watching Endgame. In a way, no spoilers, but it, where it's like, how would they decide who gets to speak a line and who doesn't? But it's all contract stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like it's when you sign up to like, like, uh, you know, just like just the tiny little parts for people who are definitely going to be in other movies. Like when you sign up for your three picture deal, there's a small print thing that says, oh, yeah, you have to just come in for a day and wear this costume and you'll be in one scene in Endgame or whatever. Oh, and like and if I am like you have to put my picture up on the screen in the credits and act like it was a big deal. Like it was a big deal that you were in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all down to agents. Yeah. Uh, speaking of people being, having a, a foot on either side of the divide, um, Marvin, the Martian is the ref in this. And I've always heard the logic that he's the perfect ref because he is part alien, like the Monstars are. And he's part tune as well. Ooh. But as far as that goes, he is a pretty shitty ref. He doesn't call anything. Yeah, they talked about that in that sports whatever video, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like how the score, the score seems the continuity with the score is weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that to me that actually tied back into like the wrestling of it all, where it's like you watch wrestling and you're like, there are really no rules happening, even when they say there are. You know, <laughs> right. Uh, that's the vibe I got from this. And, I actually, and a lot of a lot of the refs are former performers and wrestlers themselves. Yeah. So Mar- Marvin is like the. Uh, OK. I thought for sure, like, you know, they because I remembered in the end they go, hey, Michael, it's it's Looney Tune land. Like, you know, use that. Or, I, th- you know, I thought that's that's a thing. But I, I thought, like, maybe you could have done more with that, you know, like. Instead of like, oh, they thought they were good for five minutes because they drank Michael Jordan's. God, we got to talk about that. The secret stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being very upset by that. Just I know like it's a joke and I suppose it's a joke that's sort of in the vein of something you'd see in like an old time uh, Looney Tunes cartoon. Like it was in you the whole time. But 
The 90s sports world had a real problem with substance abuse. And so even to like joke about that seems like that seems like the wrong place to take something. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, it was so weird to watch it this time and like think about that. And to have them, some of them are like, oh, give me that good stuff. But then, you know, Daffy or whatever is like, I don't know. Michael's like, just do it. You want to win, don't you? It's like, yeah, put that Whoa, on a shirt. Oh, yeah. Let's get that on a shirt. This might, I don't know if this actually existed. Like, if this is an actual memory I have or if, like, it's some crazy <laughs> memory that, you know, you, like, implant memories. But, like, I think they had, like, a piece of merchandise that was the, the Michael Jordan secret stuff. The bottle? It was the bottle with, like, and it looked like it had the note on it. I feel like my cousin had this, and it, like, had some, like, had some, like, weird, like, flavor powder you could mix into it. I I feel... eBay, here I come. Yeah, I'm, like, gonna look that up, because, like, I remember that existing. Okay, yeah, Amazon.com, Michael Jordan's secret stuff, water bottle. Amazon Choice? Oh, is this the thing they just sell now? (laughs) Six six billion dollars. There you go. Okay, well it just it just exists now. Walmart.com has it. Okay, so yeah, it right. just still I gotta get this thing. Yeah. I've never seen that. No, okay, so it is it is just real. <laughs> I don't know what the powder was if that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the P test to come back. Oh, that's crazy. I gotta get one of those. Um, yeah, so that's troubling. Something else that's troubling in the film is just the existence of Lola Bunny. I, th- I knew that's what was coming next. We had to get there eventually. Uh, yeah, well, when L- Lola Bunny comes in, it's like, oh, she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just like, and I don't know, maybe you can uh, speak for a, a, another generation, but I just feel like I was outside of the age to be somebody who's like jerking it to Lola Bunny. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's a thing. I like. I mean, she was clearly like developed to be you know, in the vein of a Jessica Rabbit or whatever to be sort of vampy, but uh, yeah. I but she's really a bunny. <laughs> yeah, she's she's funny. Yeah, exactly. I I don't re- like like I had a lot of like movie crushes as a child, and that's not like one I remember. So. Okay. Sure. I, I don't know. I can't even speak if like that was an effective thing at the time. And it's certainly it was just weird now. <laughs> yeah. She does look like the chick from Game of Thrones, though, a little bit. <laughs> OK, I guess. I I... Have you, you seen that meme, the uh, Natalie Dormer or whatever? The uh, no the smirking horror of Highgarden. No, that's a that's a like that. She looks like her. They have a similar sort of facial expression. This kind of like kind of vampy kind of look to them. Okay, I'll I'll look that up. So she was introduced. Uh, I have not seen Back in Action. Does she appear in Back in Action? I don't think so. I don't remember her. That one was like specifically it was uh, Bugs and Daffy, and like mm. maybe Lola was there. Yeah, that was weird because I remember like I still I watched Looney Tunes as a kid, but like I can't think of anything with Lola, like after this. So I don't yeah. know. It's weird because, I mean, clearly she resonated with some viewers. So, like, why not bring her back? I always think of the Muppets where you think of, God, the Muppets that have been around for, like, 50 years since um, um, that guy that created him created him, Jim Henson. I don't know why I blanked on Jim Henson that for a guy. second. But it's been a while, man. He's been, he hasn't been around for a while. Right. Uh, but uh, they're always, like, coming up with new um, Muppets, and then they, like, keep them going. Like, you know, Rizzo the Rat and... Um, the shrimp Pepe and the bear and whenever they do a new Muppets thing they're always bringing in these new additions so you think that like Lola would stick around for 
uh, you know, back in action or whatever the next uh, thing is going to be. I wonder if she'll be in Space Jam too. I I do remember like there was like a girl bunny in Tiny Toons, which I watched as a kid, where they had like oh, their yeah. young counterparts. Right. But yeah, right. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I have a uh, speaking of adding new characters to this stuff. Uh, one of my friends and bandmates has a kid and they watch like the new Muppet babies that's on now. Um, there's like a reboot series happening. I don't know, but uh, they did that. Wh- exactly what you said. They added like a new Muppet baby character and, okay. and he just like despises <laughs> this character. <laughs> I was over at his house and we were, you know, we had it on while, while his, his kid was there and he was just like, like just, so incensed by this character (laughs) just being on screen he's like the scrappy do of the muppet babies yeah it's it's unfortunate uh i mean i don't even know where to go from here oh yeah like we've kind of been talking about some puzzling aspects are there any like uh real like standout highlights kind of moments or elements for you um i I think I I genuinely think that part in the beginning is good where they're like kind of sucking up to him. Yeah. Um I'm trying to remember. There I know there are for sure some some solid moments even though like in the context of the movie it's like um okay. <laughs> I do I do like Wayne Knight like digging a hole to to Looney Tunes land. Yeah. Uh he's just he's like good in this crappy role he's in. Yeah. Um, I like that he's kind of like a human Looney Tune. He's, you know, falling down and just digging a huge hole to get into like a tiny little hole, something that like a tomb would do. And then like a lot of the jokes they do are bad. Um, but I felt I I did feel like similarly to when I was watching Back in Action that sometimes the jokes and like the gags and the slapstick stuff does remind me of like some of the classic Looney Tune stuff in a way where yeah. I'm like, okay, like some of that like rubbed off on it and is funny. Yeah, I thought that the game could have been longer. I thought they should have got to the game sooner and then made more of a meal out of how they're going to like win this thing. Like we talked about like what's legal and what's not and at some point it's okay for them to drive a Vespa around or like right. shoot shoot somebody or like blow up the baskets if they had like played more with what was okay with tune rules and what was off limits um but i did like those elements yeah i yeah i thought more so than like them t- like telling michael jordan like hey you can do this stuff like what if his inspiring speech was like come on guys like embrace your looniness or yeah some... get loony right <laughs> yeah oh an- another gag that i really think is like i laugh out loud every time is when they're trying to make the game plan and Sylvester cuts in and he just starts describing how he wants to capture Tweety Bird. <laughs> right. I think that's so good. Like, that's just a good joke. <laughs> uh, I like the montage where the other players are trying to get their mojo back. Oh, yeah. it it That's one that's cool. But it's it's another one of those things where it's like in the context of this movie, like it do- goes no like it doesn't mean anything. You know? Yeah, there isn't any real reason to do it. But it's like if you the, the, all the players are our game, you know, they're they're playing their parts pretty well. And it's shot like boom, boom, boom. It's kind of like it's shot like a montage of commercials, which I mean, makes sense considering the director. But uh, and then I like how it wraps up with the fortune teller like 
<laughs> it seems like you've lost your powers and aliens have done this. They're like, nah, she's full of crap. Yeah. I think sometimes move like movies will do this joke where like it's a ridiculous movie and then the joke is they're explaining what the movie is. Yeah. Can you and, believe this? And yeah. it's like that is usually like, come on, that's weak. But I thought in this scene it was like it worked. <laughs> and I did think that montage, it's like maybe it's because there's no cartoon characters in it. And it, it, like you said, it's right. shot like a commercial and it's got this good song and it's got some sad moments and some fun, like there's some jokes in there too, but like it felt like in a, in a vacuum, it's like kind of, it's, it's like got some, I don't want to say it's gritty, but you know, it's got some like, you know, it's got like an edge to it or something that's like, ah, <laughs> uh, that's maybe giving it too much credit, but you know, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like it just yeah. feels, it feels uh, like legitimate <laughs> if that yeah. makes sense. That song it has uh, Barry White singing um, a former uh, Cheech and Chong song called yeah, Basketball yeah. Jones and uh, Chris Rock's Chris on that Rock. too. I guess you'd have to say that the soundtrack is probably a highlight of the of the movie. Oh, There's a lot of good tunes on there. Just like just like um, like liking goofy songs. Like another highlight for me is like movie soundtracks. Like mm. I, I love movie soundtracks and this is like one of the top tier ones for me there's some crazy covers on it too um i mean there's the fly like an eagle by seal which isn't crazy really it's actually i think supplanted in a lot of people's minds the yeah the uh who did that song? steve miller band yeah steve miller but um you know i mean there's i believe i can fly which i mean i mean of course right probably enough said at this point um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's also uh God, the Spin Doctors and Biz Markie do a That's the Way I Like yes, It cover. Yes, yeah. Cover. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so good. Is, yeah. And then there's like, you wouldn't even know, you have to listen to the uh, soundtrack album to get this, but there's like a rap yes. by Bugs Bunny. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't thinking of that one, but yeah, that that is pretty cool. Yeah. There's another rap song that's like the Monstars entrance in the movie. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's a music video for it too and they're and the they're all in it and it's like it's like a nuts it's like heavy hitters. It's like uh Buster Rhymes, Method yep. Man, uh Cypress Hill guy, Coolio and LL yeah. Cool J. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that song is legitimately awesome and like they're like I remember in like Method Man's like verse in it, he's like making like Wu Tang Clan references and stuff. <laughs> I was like, it's so sick. It's such a good song. LL Cool J, if he has, I haven't seen Back in Action, but if he hasn't done like a Looney Tunes tie-in, like he should. I feel like he would be like the perfect rapper. Oh yeah, just you know, not much of an edge, uh, expressive performer. I think that he would be good against the Looney Tunes. I know he's he's cr- he's crossed over with uh with WWE before. So I think, Oh really? Okay. Huh. Yeah, I think he did like one of the intro like videos for a WrestleMania or two. Like okay. he was like the, the introducer slash narrator of the opening of WrestleMania video package. What era was that? Like when was that? I, Oh, maybe like 10 years ago. Okay. I think it was like one of the ones like 28 or 29, like one of the rock Cena ones in New York or whatever. Oh, okay. I okay. think don't, don't quote me on that, but <laughs> okay. so yeah, yeah, I'm always surprised to see like what music stars will sort of team up with, uh, with WWE. Cause it's not always like who you think. And as far as like the rock Cena goes, that's kind of when I was like getting out of WWE yeah. stuff. But before that it was like, 
Yeah, that Limp Biscuit song that they played forever for The Undertaker. And um, they, oh, did yeah. the, uh, Mo- they did the Motorhead did the cover of the Triple H theme. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I love I love watching those performances even to this day. They're so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. The last time I watched this movie before this, like the soundtrack was actually like the introduction to like us watching it. It was um I was out of town with Annabelle, a band I'm in, and we were at a at a friend's house like before or after a show after a show and it was like right after they had gotten stuff on record store day and huh. they had put the soundtrack out on vinyl <laughs> and so we were like uh okay let's listen to that and we like listen you know we're listening to it and like oh all these songs are so good and then we're just like let's watch space jam and we did and i didn't notice that time still that it was bad because it's kind of the perfect movie to like watch with five other people and like yeah. laugh at you know yeah it goes down easy yeah we've talked about good stuff is there anything that you really wanted to point out like okay this this is not great um i mean we kind of covered like like the low it's like do you even want to like get into like criticizing the like you, you know like doing like a feminist critique of lola bunny when it's like it's just also just horrible you know yeah it's not even like there's nothing there really that's, no. you know, that's the worst thing in the movie, maybe. I don't know. At, th- at this point, like, what are we, like, you know, mid-90s, 96, I mean, points for representation, points for, in 96, a girl coming in and going, hey, boys, throw me the rock, and then, like, jamming it, and the boy's going, whoa, she can play basketball. That, like, was feminism. Right. <laughs> for a large part. For, for yeah, for uh, a Yeah, I'm not saying it's me. good. I'm just no, saying, like, no. they thought that they were, like... Yeah, we're pretty enlightened, man. We it's it. it's so bad too because she has that interaction with bugs, and then like the literally the next time you see them interact is during the game, and they're like friends for real now. And then bugs gets hurt, and she's like, oh, "Bugs, are you okay? You yeah. saved me." And it's like, yeah. "What? What is happening?" Probably the worst part is like, yeah, like you said, she disappears and then comes back for the game. When if you want to really familiarize us with this new character, like have her go to Jordan's house to get the shorts or, you know, put her in another scene. <laughs> yeah. I think we're asking too much though. <laughs> uh, For me, like speaking of going to Jordan's house, I didn't understand why the dog was shot almost exclusively against blue screen and they made him look huge. It's like they were trying yeah. to tune, tune the dog. They give him like cartoon eyes too. Yeah, yeah. It's really weird. Yeah, I don't Which know. Which I'd be down for, like, in the world of the movie if there was some kind of, like, explanation for it. Like, what if... Ooh, here's your premise. Like, what if the sh- aliens going through the WB shield in, in the middle of the planet lets tuniness get oh, out no. into the world so things are being affected, right? <laughs> I think it was more of, like, they did. maybe the dog just wasn't a... They didn't get a good dog actor. <laughs> yeah right yeah, sure well we'll just film a dog and put like angry eyes on him or we couldn't get the house and the dog on the same day so we just had to shoot stills of the house and then like you know comp the dog in later oh my gosh yeah that's probably the yeah that's probably the reason um one other thing i wanted to shout out was just th- that was like funny and good was the all the basketball players like acting when they didn't have talent like not just in that montage but when they lose their talent or when yeah. michael's watching him on the tv like those like it's really funny to see how people who are like probably some of the best people at something like act bad at it 
People very coordinated acting uncoordinated. Yeah. It's very ridiculous. So it's not it's not like I don't know. It was very funny though. Yeah. Yeah, they did a good job at that. Uh let's go to our segment where we check on the state of the robot holocaust. I have a theory <laughs> that you can tell within thirty seconds, maybe a few minutes, uh, if the film that you're watching is gonna be a bad film. Uh if the film opens with excessive VO voiceover uh if you've got overly long title cards or if the film opens over water you know that that helicopter shot uh where you're panning over a body of water and then it and then it tilts up and you see like a city line or whatever and then it says robocop actually robocop's a great movie but it doesn't yeah. robocop uh, a previous guest of ours uh said um if you have on the nose musical choices uh-oh and seeing the main character in the first scene double uh-oh uh, those are also indicators mm. And I've also uh, added recently, when you can see, this is a fairly recent thing with computer graphics, but when you can see the opening credits exist in the world of the film, that's an indicator that you're oh. in for a bad time. So something like Panic Room is just the first thing I think of when it opens on these shots of the city and all the words are like sort of floating, like they're all in the movie. Oh, I, I can't remember that. I haven't seen that movie in so long. Well, now you know it's not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would, so, yeah. By those metrics, at least the metric of the on-the-nose choices of music and seeing the main character in the first scene, uh, which particularly, that first scene, other than paying homage to Michael Jordan's father, it doesn't have anything to really do with the movie at all. Yeah. Except to maybe set up that we get that like young Michael does like baseball. Right, yeah. I, I was thinking that this time around, too. Because like, for me, that scene is like iconic in a way but it was it was kind of i'm kind of bummed that that we did this episode because now it's been like shattered for me and and that it's like actually meaningless take it all back (laughs) take it all back (laughs) but uh, i don't know maybe in a way it's it's a it's just at least a little bad we can at least uh accept that (laughs) but it it, yeah it is like i think that scene could have existed in a good movie i think oh sure i don't know it's hard for me to separate that I and if I'm sure if you look it up, there's like a lifetime something or other. But I wonder <laughs> when they'll make the definitive life story of Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe not in 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 his lifetime. You know. Oh uh, yeah, um, probably not in his lifetime because uh, we need a resolution on um, some of the ongoing issues. Like what's going on with the Hitler mustache? Oh yeah, I forgot that he has that going on now. I don't know if he's still doing it, but yeah, that was a that was a bold choice. That's the choice of a guy that won six NBA titles. Yeah, I don't think of Michael Jordan as like a person who exists in the world today. Yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even when I like when I lived at like a I had lived at a punk house for a while, where it had a ton of people, and we'd throw shows at our house and. Uh, is that what a punk house is? Yeah. <laughs> we, um, actually, some of the people from that house went and started another house, like house that did shows, and they called it Moron Mountain. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. All right. All right. But we had a we had a, a a VCR there, and you know we had like a large tape collection, and I started because I would see them at every thrift store I went to, but like various Michael Jordan VHS tapes that were just like. You know, you probably watched it in school or something, but it was like, like, yeah, it was it would be like 30 minutes and it would be like him talking about something inspirational and then like dunk montage. Okay, so, so yeah, I see that. That's that's like how I think of him in the in the world today is is like the 90s version of him. Sure. Like 
stop it get some help like uh psas and stuff like that yeah he was just like well i you know i i struggled with my grades but then i focused (laughs) and then now look what i can do right uh boy i do they even have those still or is it just all youtube videos now yeah it's it's for sure youtube (laughs) just uh just watch this kids knee and cat for 10 hours (laughs) <laughs> I want, yeah there's there's got to be like lebron something for 10 hours <laughs> lebron jamming it for 10 hours yeah so uh, as far as the state of the robot holocaust uh, i'd say there's definitely robots on the way but bugs will dress up like a lady robot and all the robots will go run program hubba hubba and they'll all just run <laughs> off a cliff or something that's like yeah that's like bugs's greatest weapon i think that's. I wonder if he can still use that move uh, in the woke 21st century. Yeah, it does. It seems weird. <laughs> it does seem weird now. That's a different show. Um, <laughs> let's uh, talk about the pick of the patch where we look at reviews of the film from the time. And as we said at the top of the show, this movie didn't get much love from critics, mm. uh, most of whom I'm assuming weren't millennials on the film's release. Uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum, who's a critic for Entertainment Weekly, said in 96, quote, this mediocrity disguised as entertainment, this greed promoted as synergy, this, to paraphrase that seminal media study, Broadcast News, is what the devil looks like. It's Tasmanian, and it's coming to a multiplex (laughs) near you. Wow. Lisa Schwartzbaum was my favorite critic at the time. But remember, I was like an angsty teen at the time. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I think a lot of her stuff is kind of overblown, <laughs> but she's got a point. I yeah, I don't view I I even after like all the things we discussed, I don't see this movie as like that cynical, you know. <laughs> yeah, even though like it is in pretty much every way, but it it just seems so like lighthearted in most ways that it's like I don't know. Whereas compared to like back in action, where it's like it feels like there's not even like an ounce of like. I don't know niceness in the movie at all you know it though I have not seen it um and but you're painting it as like just like a really uh like sardonic showbiz satire I guess yeah yeah it's, it, it wants to be it wants to be like a little bit more like I, I don't know if it wants to be that cutting edge but you know they're the whole time they're talking about their contracts and yeah I and, feel like the the Muppets have gotten like that um more recently oh yeah like i didn't watch their last show that was on which apparently like a lot of people said that like 30 rock was a lot like the muppet show and so which i mean it was the old one and so they made a muppet show that was like 30 rock basically which i don't think worked out very well yeah i didn't even check it out at all but i did get that's because i got like those similar vibes to it where i was like let's i don't know let let's maybe like pretend that we enjoy this or like what we're, what we're making or whatever. So Sp- space jam has that. Maybe it's just cause I was a kid when I watched it, but it, it has that illusion still to it. I think. Yeah. Well, Todd McCarthy was writing for variety in 96 and he was mixed, but generally positive on the film. Uh, he said, quote, although it bounces off the rim a number of times, Oh, Todd, uh, space jam finally goes through the hoop. Todd, come on for the score. Cute, rambunctious, generally amusing rather than outright funny. Um, He also wrote about Jordan, quote, unlike many athletes who have appeared as themselves on screen, Jordan comes off as relaxed, amiable, charismatic, and utterly like the man he has always seemed to be in his familiar sports context. 
which I don't disagree that he is amiable. I agree. But he was a very different man in his commercials than on the court. You know, he was like this nice guy that's like, have a Coke, you know, in his commercials. And he was like ruthless on the court. Like he was, you know, like a a trash talker, right? Yeah. He was a trash talker. He was very competitive. It's what made him so good. But yeah, he was fierce on the court. And so I guess you couldn't bring that to like a kid's cartoon basketball movie. But yeah, a lot of times I felt like, especially when they were trying to put him up against the tunes to do like comedy bits, it was like, okay, well, a commercial director is not going to be able to pull like a wacky performance out of him. Yeah, I would. He wasn't like very funny in the movie, yeah. but uh, I would say he. It wasn't like I. I never thought like, wow, Michael Jordan is really horrible and like taking me. Like you know, he just did an okay job at like being himself. I guess. I think uh, I mentioned Chuck Jones before. He was not super happy about <laughs> oh, the wow. film. Uh, yeah, and mostly because of he didn't actually like. Um, Roger Rabbit either. I think it was just like the change in tone. Like he didn't like the cynical kind of modern tone to yeah. those films. Well, that, yeah. Which, if that's not your thing, I I can I can see that. Yeah, I guess I guess I don't think like what what would you what's like the how would you describe classic Looney Tunes? It's not it's it's not it's not cynical at all, really. It's well, I don't know. Uh, muggy, not like weather, but you know, like like mugging um wise cracking um deadpool clearly yeah uh, <laughs> yeah just like you know don't take the bad guys are always people that take themselves too seriously yeah uh they're 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 they're, they're the grumps and so it's like showing up the grumps and trying to make people have a good time and also eating a sentient bird <laughs> so i guess it's like when that becomes like a huge well, you know, when it it becomes like a even bigger franchise, like, like it's like I think they understand those that type of humor a little bit less, and it just comes off as, you know, cynical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I will say that Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, of course, gave it two thumbs up when it came out. Wow, that's yes. that's kind of surprising to hear. It was also, well, yeah, uh, they were getting on in years in the mid-90s, so I think they were softening up a little bit. And it's also, it's a, it's a paper target or it's a paper tiger or whatever. Like, there's, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to take chunks out of this? It's just clearly trying to entertain kids. And so I think maybe their take was like, what's, oh, the, point? Yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. the point of really shitting on Space Jam? That's like on, on the last virtual I'll take that challenge. theater we recorded, it was like we were like going through beat by beat the Pokemon movie. And I felt like after I recorded, I felt cause that was another one I loved as a kid, but I felt so dirty after recording it. Cause I was like, why did I have to have, like, why did I have to like even say these opinions about <laughs> yeah. what they did wrong with the Pokemon? movie? <laughs> uh, here's something to make you feel better. Have you seen the space jam website? Oh, it's like the old like nineties website, right? Yes, it is. It is still up. I Whoa. did a little bit of research on it, uh, and I wasn't able to find out too much. But yeah, the original website from 1995 or six is still up. Now it's hosted. I I went so far as to like do a reverse lookup on the IP to see who hosts it. Yeah, and it's hosted on Amazon Web Services. So like you know, I mean, the 
I don't think like some dusty old server is still somehow running the Space Jam website. Like at this point, it became a kind of thing. And I think they're keeping it going as like a kind of joke or as an artifact. But if you go on there, they've got all the information. Uh, they have old um, QuickTime clips <laughs> that are just like horrible quality of behind the scenes footage. And yeah, you can see the whole thing still. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and it is something to behold. It is, yeah, yeah it's Planet B-Ball. There's a link you can click on called Planet B-Ball. There's a distressing lack of animated GIFs, though. Yeah, well, I, at that time, that would probably, like, imagine trying to load that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I, that's cool they kept it going. It's a good logo. Yeah, yeah, it's a great logo. <laughs> Looks so cool. <laughs> Uh, usually at this point, at the end of the show, we ask why critics rejected this. Um, and I think we know why generally. But the yeah. other thing we ask is, did it matter? I def- Definitely not. I think straight yeah. out the gate. Yeah, because it, w- it was huge at the time. And it's oh yeah, it's now iconic. You're like it's it's got that same sort of nostalgia that, you know, you walk into like a hot topic now and. It's like they got the Transformer <laughs> shirts. I don't, but I believe you. <laughs> I for for some reason every time I pass one, I'm like not because I've ever really liked the store except when I was like a young angsty teen. <laughs> the emo, yeah, right? <laughs> but now I'm now I'm like, oh, I wonder. Like I'm never gonna. Well, I do have a Space Jam shirt from Hot Topic, but. <laughs> Typically, I'm like, what shirts do they have? I never, I never buy any, but I'm like, I got, I want to see what they have. Oh, there's a Dragon Ball Z shirt. Okay, cool. Right, right. (laughs) That's like a good way for me to spend 10 minutes. Hot Topic now sounds the same as when I used to go to Hot Topic. (laughs) Like, it sounds like it hasn't changed at all. Maybe that's just the nostalgia cycle uh, coming back. Well, it's, I remember for a while it was like super, like, it was like mall goth, like Slipknot stuff. Right. And then I, when I was like into punk, like I think they expanded, like there was, it was more like alternative music. <laughs> and now it's like pop. It's like, well, it's like how everything is now where it's like, we sell Funko Pops, you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We have Rick and Morty merchandise. <laughs> yeah, they sell that at the dentist. Um, <laughs> I used to go there because... And this is really going to like place me in time, but I used to go there because it was a time when you couldn't order a X-Men t-shirt off of Amazon real easy. Mm. And yet the uh, X-Men films hadn't been out yet. So there wasn't like this glut of like X-Men merchandise, but you can go to Hot Topic and get like a t-shirt with like a Jim Lee Cyclops on it. Oh, uh, that's where you could get something like that. That's cool. I've never before like everybody knew the name Wolverine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have associated. I wouldn't have thought that about the early hot topic. Well, they're, but they were trendsetters. Well, I guess in the '90s, X Men was kind of it's kind of edgy, it, right? It was huge on the comic side. Yeah, it hadn't quite made it to the screen though yet. Yeah, so I could see hot topic being like, yeah, this is like. Cutting. Oh, we're out ahead of this thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you know, uh, as as, we, as we've talked about, Space Jam Two is currently in pre-production at Warner's, and LeBron James is the marquee star set for the sequel slash reboot. They've talked about this, I think, since the day Space Jam came out, uh, but it's finally going to get made now, uh, in part because it's produced by Ryan Coogler. Oh wow! Okay, yeah. that's interesting. And Justin Lin, who directed some of the Fast and Furious films, oh, was hell originally yeah. attached to oh, direct. Originally. Uh, 
Yeah, but he's been replaced. Damn it. But a guy named Terrence Nance is currently slated to direct. Um, he's primarily a director of shorts, but his first feature, 2012's An Oversimplification of Her Beauty, which would be a good title for one of your emo songs, uh, <laughs> yeah. is actually an animated film. So he might be a good choice. He's also a filmmaker of color as well. And Joe Pitka, no, he's he's a white guy. Okay, so I, that that sounds like, you know, there's actually something... Like slightly, it's slightly more interesting to me now than, yeah. and I was already, I was already interested, but not, <laughs> you were not, already in. not because I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, <laughs> uh, Sonequa Martin Green has been cast as LeBron's wife, Savannah James and Sean Bradley and Charles Barkley are slated to reprise their roles. Wow. The first oh, wow. This is going to be like, they have some like really dark scene where he's like, I remember the day and i remember 1996 I did, I did date madonna again i shouldn't have yeah. <laughs> i swore and this is for the children but apparently lil pump is rumored to appear as himself oh okay well that yeah the, they've got to do now where it's like they've got to have another soundtrack i bet the soundtrack will be awesome oh yeah yeah definitely that'll probably be the best part about the movie <laughs> or, again <laughs> or not it'll be a bunch of soundcloud rappers covering like, oh, yeah. songs or something <laughs> Yeah, that's that's fair. Which, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, enthusiasm diminished. Uh, well, what about your? <laughs> let's talk about your final recommendation. Is this a masterpiece or a disaster piece? Oh, I have to pick one. Oh, uh, I'm gonna say it as being for being a, uh, like a cartoon real life sports crossover slash commercial for a person's reintroduction <laughs> to their sports career. It is Nailed a masterpiece. It. <laughs> it's a masterpiece for sure. Sometimes uh, we add a monster piece uh, to that, but this could be a, a monster piece. It's a monster piece. Yeah. I think for their incredibly low standards, <laughs> yeah. like the standards of how do we make this two and a half, minute commercial 88 minutes long i mean they accomplished exactly what they wanted to accomplish right yeah um what i think is really interesting is how to me and i don't want to get all like um master's thesis on it but it like reads to me as like jordan's way and our way of like collectively dealing with him deciding to be a baseball player <laughs> like in the middle of his career like it right. really was it really was a shock it really shook up uh, a lot of people at that time. And so the really sad truth is the guy was burned out. The guy was grieving his dad. Uh, the guy had, you know, an investigation come out of his ass. And so he was like, I'm going to do this instead. But it's like when you get away with something that you shouldn't have, like if you do something bad and like you think you're going to get caught and you're not, do you feel bad about it? Or do you just go right back in on it, you know, and just like double down and and create this weird crazy alternate story that's a f way to celebrate what happened instead of like just think about yeah he had a really bad time you know in, in the mid 90s uh it's this instead and honestly uh, this is probably a better story <laughs> yeah know? it's effective like like i said for me like i didn't know all that stuff you said and when i just think about like michael jordan's like life in the 90s and what happened like take out the looney tune stuff and i'm like yeah like he he went and played baseball and like people were like kind of funny about it to him and then 
he yeah. came back and like I almost it's like this was like a documentary for me, you know. The flaw in his plan was is that he was Michael Jordan. Like if he could have, ju- <laughs> I don't think that he thought that it would be a circus. Like if he could have just hidden for a while and just took some cuts, you know, as number forty five. Uh, on a minor league field, maybe he would have got like what he was looking for, which was like, you know, a little solace, but instead it became this total circus. And I think he just said, okay, screw it. I'm going to come back. And he literally came back. The bulls were sucking like in the 95 season, they were not doing well. And he didn't go to like training camp or anything. Apparently like on the set of the film, he played a lot of hoops. Uh, They built like a whole court for him. They called the Jordan dome. But he basically just said, like, I'm coming back. And the next day he just he just walked on to to a game in the middle of the season and like, you know, put up a bunch of points and everything was fine. It's like it never happened. Let's never talk about it again. Dropped him off. Yeah. Well, the space. Yeah. I meant, you know, obviously that. And then. Yeah. Yeah. Because now the narrative is the double three Pete, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the next year after that. Yeah. They went one, two, three again. So. Wow. It's just weird. So, yeah, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> Long story it is, short. It's a Space Jam. All right. Well, uh, that's it uh, for this Space Jam. Thanks for joining us, listeners. Uh, if you want to let us know how you felt about this movie, you can tell us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash craft disservices. Uh, we're also on Twitter at, and catch this, it's at craft disservice, no S. Uh, we're on iTunes. You can search for craft disservices there. Subscribe, rate, and review us. It really helps us a lot. And we're, of course, on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Gooey, where can people find you online? Um, let's see. I'm at Gooey Fame on Twitter. Uh, I think Pro Wrestling Required Viewing is at PWRV Podcast. It's kind of hard to remember these. Uh, mm-hmm. Existence of F- is Futile is EIF at EIF pod. And because we couldn't get uh, a better thing, it's at virtual theater X for virtual theater. Cause the X sounds cool. Yeah, that does sound cool. I like that. <laughs> it makes was you think a... of mega man, like 20 X. Right. Yeah. Right. 20 X to X. Was there another thing that was virtual theater? I think maybe it was like, we couldn't fit virtual theater pod and we couldn't do virtual theater. And we looked right. it up and I don't think it's anything of relevance. So like that does anything. And we couldn't get virtual theater one. And we're like, well, we don't want to be virtual theater two. Like, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, somebody wants to be virtual theater two. So Wait. I thought, let's throw a letter on there. And then we're like, what's the coolest letter you can do? <laughs> Z. No, no, no. X. Didn't the Mega Man series run into the problem where, like, they made Mega Man X, but then there was an actual, like, Mega Man X10? Yeah, so like the sequels came up to that point, right? Yeah, so it became there was like X one, X two. Yeah, it's got a it's got a weird naming convention. It's kind of murky. (laughs) It's like Fast and the Furious, (laughs) right? Yeah, right. They're gonna run out of uh, number related word puns pretty soon. Exactly. Well, that sounds great. Uh, And the credits are rolling. This is Aaron for Gooey saying a b a b a b. -b 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 -b